This is Trent England with another Six Questions podcast. Thank you for being a part of what we do here at Save Our States. And I'm very glad to talk with Todd Myers today, someone I've known for quite a while. Um, we're both from the Pacific Northwest. He's still there. I am, of course, in Oklahoma City. He's the director of the Center for the Environment at the Washington Policy Center and the author of a brand new book, Time to Think Small, How Nimble Environmental Technologies Can Solve the Planet's Biggest Problems. Todd, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's good to see you, even though you abandon us. I know. I know. It's always, uh, yeah, it's, it's always, it's always hard to leave Washington state. Uh, one of the most beautiful places in the, in the world. Uh, I, I want to ask you about your book, but first, uh, the first question is just tell folks about the Washington policy center. You all do a, a lot of great work and some of that, uh, even spills out of Washington state, obviously, uh, like your book. Uh, but what is the Washington policy center? What do you do? We are a public policy think tank and um, sort of people think of like Heritage or Brookings, things like that at the national level. We do that for the state level. <clears throat> uh, we are a free market uh, oriented think tank on the center right. Um, and so we have uh, experts in a number of different areas, transportation, uh, budget uh, and tax, healthcare, um, business, education, and I'm the environmental guy. And so we work primarily on state issues, but the, one of the things about working in Washington state is, as you said, a lot of issues spill out um, and we see things here, uh, sometimes not always good things, uh, before they reach the rest of the country. And so I, I tell people that uh, while it's not as a politically friendly environment as someplace like Oklahoma or Texas, um, if you want to be on the front lines of sort of fighting some bad ideas, um, that's where we are and pushing back against sort of the the left's worst sort of collectivist approach. And doing that in the environmental area, I think, may surprise some people. I, I feel like there are a lot of conservatives who have just sort of written off environmental issues. I, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's too, uh, uh, maybe I'm going too far on that. But I, I get that sense sometimes that people just feel like there's maybe not a conservative answer other than just, you know, well, we've got to stand back and see what happens. Right. Um, and so I love the work that you do. And I'm, I'm fascinated by your new book. Time to think small, uh, Todd. Tell us what what does that what does that mean? What is uh, what's your book about? So I think what you're right. I think you, I think you were right that a lot of conservatives um, have written it off in a in a political sense, but not in a personal sense. I mean, look at a look at a map. Um, look at where the blue parts are, which is in urban areas where we have paved over nature, and the red parts are where the nature is. So in their personal lives, conservatives and people on the center left have gone to nature, live, are surrounded by the environment and natural resources every day. But in a political sense, they're worried that if they say that they care about the environment, that it is, uh, they're, they're sort of giving uh, support to socialism. They, they worry that environmental politics are just a, a Trojan horse for socialism. And so what Time to Think Small is, is that rather than big government, what we need are small actions. And that's what you see stewardship, uh, environmental, true environmental stewardship is made up of a lot of small actions, small efforts that add up to big environmental improvements. And a lot of the times this bottom-up approach is far better um, at doing the things that even people, sincere environmentalists on the left say they want to do, but they believe that it has to be a big government approach. What my book is about is no, the big government approach actually doesn't work in many cases. It is small efforts 
where with empowered people where they have the right incentives and knowledge to do good things that is not only consistent with helping the environment, but it's consistent with our values of personal freedom and responsibility um, and prosperity. Let's let's talk about one area where I mean you've really put this into practice. Uh, you're a beekeeper, which yeah. I think is uh, is is great. It's something that you know I, I've had some very small interest in. And uh, another friend of mine is a or has been a beekeeper in Virginia and took me out to see his bees. Uh, what what inspired you to raise honeybees? Uh, uh, yeah, people think I'm a little strange for choosing a hobby because it is a hobby. I don't make any money at it, uh, where I get stung 10 times a year. Um, somebody asked me the other day, uh, um, is it easier dealing with your bees or politicians? And I said, well, people pay me to deal with politicians, but I choose to deal with bees. So that gives you a sense of, um, you know, what I think is, is more fun. But, um, I did it for a variety of reasons. One, I just think they're fascinating. Um, I didn't do it initially to get honey or anything like that. Um, they're just, uh, bees are incredibly interesting. Um, they're very smart. And I will just tell you one of my favorite stories about bees. There was a study where they were watching bees over winter and they put a glass on top of the hive and the bees had attached honeycomb to the glass. Well, glass is not a great thing to uh, attach wax to. And so during the winter, one of those honeycombs collapsed. So the bees were clustering. So they broke out of, to keep warm. So they broke out of cluster, went, and they fixed the honeycomb that had collapsed. But they went to the other honeycombs and buttressed those honeycombs because they were able to figure out that it might happen to those others. Um, and, and that, I mean, the ability of the bees to sort of figure that out and take action is really incredible. And I use honeybees as a metaphor in my book because there are 50,000 bees in a hive. Every one of them has one small role, but the aggregate impact of all of their small efforts means that the hive lives. And there are honeybees from the Middle East to Alaska and North Dakota. They are amazingly adaptable, but there is no sort of centralized plan. It is all of them doing their small part uh, to make the hive work and make it um, and survive in lots of different places. I'm talking with Todd Myers. He's the author of Time to Think Small, How Nimble Environmental Technologies Can Solve the Planet's Biggest Problems. Todd, question number four is about what environmentalists say is a problem that is so big that we can't think small, that we can't leave it to individual people or these nimble technologies. We have to have a big top-down, either national or global solution. Of course, that's climate change. What's your answer to, to that? I mean, is, is you know dealing with the climate this issue that's sort of the trump card for the environmental left, that they just have to have as much power as they demand? Or do your solutions still work? Well, there's a thing uh, called proportionality bias, which is that, you know, big problems, ergo, must have big solutions. Um, and part of that comes from the 1970s mindset where we had the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. So we had these big government programs that solved, um, I don't want to say solved, but I mean, made a huge improvement in our air and water quality. So that bias creeps in. But when you look at actually what we're doing on climate change, the government solutions are really quite bad. Um, according to the UN, just they just put out a recent report that nobody is close to meeting the Paris Climate Accord. So this is the big thing that everybody says, 
but the governments are not close to doing it. We see what's happening in Germany with their really catastrophic energy decisions where their emissions are you know, going up and they're you know, replacing uh, nuclear with coal. Here in Washington state, Governor Inslee has talked a lot about how he's a leader on climate change. Washington state has missed every single one of our climate targets. So the question is, when people say, oh, we have to do government, they just assume that it works. They never actually look at what the results are, and the results are actually quite poor at the local and international level. However, if you look at what reduces CO2 emissions, if you look at what reduces energy use over time, it is small incremental steps. There are no big jumps. It is people um, finding ways to save energy in their own home. It is businesses doing more with less in terms of electricity and energy, which we see all the time. It is that slow incremental progress that really makes the difference. And we now have more technologies than ever to do that. It used to be just sort of, you know, industry could do a lot of those things. Now, every homeowner can do those things to save electricity. I have something in my electrical box um, which measures electricity a million times a second and uses artificial intelligence to tell me what appliances I'm using and then tells me, here's where you're using electricity and here's where you can conserve. That is an incredible amount of information that I never would have had before. And now I don't have to believe that climate change is a crisis. I don't even have to believe that climate change is real. I have information about how I can save money on electricity that has the benefit of reducing our resource use and the environmental impacts associated with that. Yeah, it, it's it's always shocking to me that a lot of the environmental questions leave out, and I think I think sometimes this is intentional. I think sometimes it's just blind spots. The fact that efficiency, I mean, so much of what they're talking about when they talk about conservation is efficiency. Efficiency is good for the economy at the large and small scales. It's, you know, it's what people sort of instinctively want if they know how to get it. And, uh, and, and that I, I think, I think some of our friends on the environmental left just, just actually don't understand how economic incentives work. Well, and, and, and the beauty of these technologies is, is that what they said, even when they do understand the economic incentives, like, okay, we've got to put a giant carbon tax uh, on carbon so that people respond to those prices. But what technologies do is that they make existing prices more powerful. They yeah. increase the elasticity of demand so that, I mean, right now, if I asked you, what does a kilowatt hour cost? Very few people know what the heck a kilowatt hour costs, but I guarantee you know exactly what a gallon of gas costs. Uh, probably within five cents a gallon because it's everywhere. We can now do that with technology where we have the information about electricity and have that same sort of ability to respond to prices and find ways to be energy efficient without even increasing the price of electricity because we have more information. So Todd, here at Save Our States, we defend the Electoral College. That is our full-time mission. And there are a lot of folks on the environmental left who blame inst institutions like the Electoral College, the Supreme Court, the Senate with the filibuster, you know, all of these aspects of our constitutional system and checks and balances for not allowing us to tackle these problems. <laughs> what, what do you say to, uh, to, to, that, uh, to, to that line of attack? I'm a 10th Amendment guy. <laughs> I think that uh, the power should be left to the people. Um, and that's one of the themes of my book is that what we need to do is empower people, not politicians. All the arguments that they make, that you've just made, are particular 
ways of saying the same thing, which is we need politicians to have more power over us. It's the opposite. We need to have people have more power over how they live their lives, not just because that is consistent with the American ideals of individual liberty and freedom that you and I cherish so much, but because it's a better way to solve these problems. It is a, people on the ground with the knowledge and incentives are going to do much better at solving environmental problems. And we see it again and again than politicians whose incentives are primarily to make themselves look good and feel good. And that's what we see in environmental policy is that they use that power, use those institutions to feather the nests of their friends, to do policies that sound good, even if they don't actually work. And when they don't work, no politician is going to say, you know what, I really screwed that up. What they're going to say is, no, 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 it worked great. Matter of fact, we need even more money. When that's the exact opposite of what you should do when you actually care about results, you should admit this didn't work. We need to try something else. And so the work that you're doing is one particular sort of front line in that fight against the left uh, who say we need more power so that we can impose our solutions on all of these areas. Um, and it is just the backwards approach. Like I said, it's not only inconsistent with the notions of liberty and freedom that are at the heart of what America is, but it's also counterproductive when you actually want to solve the problems. I couldn't agree more with that. And I, I you know, having grown up in Washington State, uh, you know, out, out in the woods, as, as we called it, uh, you know, what you said at the beginning is so correct. I mean, individual people living their lives want to protect the environment around them in a way that in a way that folks that live in cities and, I, and I've lived in, in big cities as well, can't really understand. I, I think that's a that's an interesting uh, just thinking back to your, you know, your your first uh, answer, I think, or your maybe your second uh, the second question talking about your book. I mean, people don't uh, people who live in big cities, I think, really don't understand the small acts of conservation that happen every day right. among people's families, businesses <clears throat> out in rural and small town America. So glad that I'm glad that we got to talk about that and the way that that connects in with our constitutional system that is supposed to decentralize power and keep power in the hands of the people. Todd, our, our final question is always the same on six questions, at least for first time guests. That is, who is your favorite founding father and why? My favorite is tough because there's, I like several of them. Um, Benjamin Franklin for his wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> um, I like uh, Thomas Jefferson because he was an innovator and a scientist. There are some on the right who don't like Thomas Jefferson for a variety of reasons, but Thomas Jefferson also was a guy who liked rural life more than city life, that's for certain. Uh, I think Madison was the quiet genius who turned a lot of these ideas and really made them manifest um, in the Constitution. Um, and so when I think of sort of my favorites, those are the, the three that always rise to the top. I'm just I'm just curious. Do, do you know, did any of the founders, I mean, obviously, many of them were were farmers in, in some way. Did any of them keep bees? Did people did people must have done that at that, this at is that time? That's a great question. And I actually know the answer. Um, Thomas Jefferson, if you go to the Library of Congress, there is a special collection of Thomas Jefferson's books um, because he was sort of destitute at the end of his life and he sold his library to, to start the Library of Congress. 
and there is a book about beekeeping there. Um, and I actually got it. Um, and it is about how to make hives because the hives that we see today are what's called Langstroth's hives. They were created in the 1800s. And so Thomas Jefferson had a book about how to create hives. It was because they were trying to figure out how to um, make hives that could be, you know, accessed easily and other things like that. Um, and he actually has a book about that. So I don't know if he kept bees, but I know that he was very interested in bees and had a book about bees. Yeah, that's that's great. I I, I used to uh, very, very briefly at the end of my time in Washington State, I had a, I had two little talks about Washington and Jefferson as uh, Jefferson as uh, you know, sort of a, a, a farmer and a Western, both of them as Westerners, because they were both oriented toward the West and, and uh, both experimented in agriculture and that, but I didn't know that about Jefferson and bees. That's, uh, that, that's interesting. Yeah, it was great. I, I emailed the library of Congress and, and they were able to send me a PDF of it, which I just thought was really fantastic. So I've, I've actually read it, but uh, yeah. That's great. So I, you know, I mean that, the thing about the one thing I want to finish with um, about my book is that as we started talking about conservatives are gun shy about talking about the environment because they're afraid of what it might lead to and they and they also sort of worry that it leads to this big government mindset. And so one of the reasons I wrote my book is to give conservatives both the confidence um, and the tools to talk about to show the power of small non-government efforts and how they're solving some of the biggest problems we talked about climate change but ocean plastic and species and other things like that it's all i mean i address all of those things with real tangible um examples and you know thanksgiving is coming up um, and there's always these articles about you know how to talk to your conservative uncle frankly people like me uh about the environment um and what i want my book to be for people is you know something that they can hand back to their college students and other things like that and say well maybe think about this instead rather than just trying to impose your views on everybody so, uh, so i hope it's helpful people, that way as well. uh, how do people get a copy of your book and how do they stay in touch with your work uh, yeah, so it's on Amazon. As you said, it's called Time to Think Small, How Nimble Environmental Technologies Can Solve the Planet's Biggest Problems. Uh, Amazon's the easiest way to get it. It may be at your bookstore as well. Um, and I work at the Washington Policy Center, so you can just uh, look up the Washington Policy Center and my name, Todd Myers. We focus primarily on Washington state politics, but a lot of Washington state environmental issues spill out. And so people will see um, a lot of things in there that they recognize in their own uh, state as well. So that's how you can catch up with me. And then I'm on Twitter at at WA Policy Green. Excellent. Todd Myers, thank you so much for being a part of our Six Questions podcast. It was very nice to talk with you. Thanks to all of you for watching or listening. Remember, you can uh, give this podcast five-star rating. You can share it with the people around you. That's uh, really helpful to get the word out about uh, great things going on, like, like Todd's work and our work to defend the Electoral College. Until next time, I'm Trent England for Save Our States.